The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And I can tell you that I am very excited about the gold mining sector now, uh, given the turn uh, that the markets seem to have taken this year. Uh, with gold, the price of gold up 9% or so, uh, a good number, most of the uh, gold shares that I follow are up 35, 40, 45% so far this year. So clearly a reason for some optimism. Whether or not we've seen the real turn in gold or not remains to be seen. Uh, there are a lot of people think that we have. Some are still skeptical. Some of the technical analysts that we've had on this show think we might have to go down once more. Whatever the case, the gold shares are doing well, uh, and uh, and that is mostly what I am concerned about, what my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold and Energy and Tech Stocks, is concerned about. Also, I, I like to tell you that I'm also the partner uh, or my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And those of you who are interested in subscribing to Chen do need to put your name on an waiting list. You can go to miningstocks.com to do that. Miningstocks.com, put your name on the waiting list. And the beginning of the next quarter, that would be the first few days of April, we will uh, be taking, Chen will be taking new subscribers to his, uh, to his newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter anytime, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks at miningstocks.com. And as I say, I think uh, a lot of reasons to start to pay attention to the junior mining stocks because they are starting to perform very well after they've been hit so hard for two or three years in a row. I should like to uh, mention that the best place to go to, in fact, the, the only place to go to to listen uh, immediately to uh, the second hour of today's show is J. Taylor Media, J. A. Y. Taylor Media. Dot com, and you can follow me on Twitter under the handle J Taylor Media. 
I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And we want to also thank our sponsors for making this show financially viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Nanostruck Technologies, Caden Resources, Brazil Resources, and Metanor Resources. Uh, with respect to Caden Resources, I am going to be talking to the President and CEO, Ivan Bebeck. Uh, he is going to come and tell us about that company's Mexican Properties, this is a very well-funded company, a company that has a lot of money in the bank, very few shares outstanding, and some wonderful drill results uh, early on in their Mexican property. I frankly think this is a company that could be on to a multi-million ounce gold deposit. And uh, some other things that Ivan will tell you about I think are very, very fascinating. I am an owner of Caden uh, Resources. It is a recommendation in my newsletter, and it also uh, is a sponsor to this show, as I just told you. Nanostruck Technologies is starting to uh, come out, I think, with some encouraging news, certainly on the uh, on the management front, having added some, some strong people there. Uh, and uh, this is a company, if they can do what they're claiming they can do, uh, well, it's a 13-cent stock. It's not going to be for long if they start to produce because they are looking at some of the world's biggest, uh, helping to solve some of the world's biggest problems, uh, starting with water cleaning dirty water into potable water and water that can be used in agriculture, a very, very big uh, big need in the world, of course. Um, they're selling at 13 cents. I didn't tell you the Caden Resources selling at $1.66, only 41.6 million shares out for Caden. Brazil Resources, we talked to Amira Danny last week. That is a company that's assembled nearly 4 million ounces of gold. Amir went out and acquired properties during this downturn very smartly uh, using his ability to raise capital. And uh, I think there's a very bright future for Brazil resources. And Medjinor Resources, likewise, is really picking up very nicely. Its shares are only 20 cents, but um, it is doing very nicely on its bachelor property in uh, in Quebec. And uh, a lot of good things happening there also with the Berry property. Uh, we will no doubt be talking to Medjinor Resources in the not-too-distant future as well. Looking at the uh, equity markets, uh, looking at the markets and the gold markets and the bond markets, well, just the macroeconomic picture, I came across some very interesting uh, words of wisdom from Jim Rickards, who has been been on this show in the past. Uh, It was an interview, actually, that he did with uh, Sovereign Man at SovereignMan.com, and he's basically pointing out that this whole notion of tapering is nothing new. He said the Fed tried to taper after QE1. They tapered 100%. They tapered 100% after QE2. And it didn't work. So they had to go to the twist and QE3 and some call it QE infinite. Uh, uh, Rickard said he was somewhat surprised that they began to taper. Um, you know, but he thinks that Bernanke wanted to tie the bow. Um, he started QE and wanted to be seen ending it as he left. But he said more importantly, there are concerns uh, within the Fed itself about the uh, the balance sheet uh, condition of the Fed, the fact that uh, there are people that even think the Fed is, in fact, if their assets were marked to market, uh, would already be insolvent, that the Federal Reserve would be insolvent. Can you imagine that? In fact, Rickard says that he has spoken to a, f- a former FOMC member who has uh, told him exactly that. And Rickards points out that, in fact, the Fed isn't owning just short-term treasuries. The Fed is owning 10- to 20-year treasuries. Uh, and then the tiniest little increase in interest rates magnifies uh, itself very dramatically in the underlying asset of the underlying bond valuation. So if the Fed had to mark its, uh, its assets to market, according to Rickards and this Federal Reserve official, that, in fact, would, be, uh, would already make it an insolvent 
uh, an insolvent institution. So we have a federal bank that is, uh, by all practical means, uh, insolvent. Of course, they don't mark to market. They pretend that uh, the the dollar is as good as gold still, uh, and uh, and that's what keeps the world confident uh, in the established policy as it is now. Interestingly enough. Um, uh, Rickards uh, talked about, uh, has had conversations apparently with Rand Paul. Rand Paul recently made a speech on the Senate floor uh, really being uh, talking about his concern about the solvency of the central bank, and a couple of other senators apparently have hopped on the bandwagon. Rickard says he wouldn't be at all surprised if Rand Paul uh, used this as a campaign issue. Well, that would be uh, very interesting for sure, and it certainly would not uh, please the boys on Wall Street very much to see Rand Paul talking like that. Uh, but if he is taking a chapter from his father, uh, and he does have the courage to stand up against the establishment at times when he knows they're wrong, well, then um, more kudos to Rand Paul as far as I'm concerned. Um, so another question that was raised in this interview with Rickards, is the Fed really in control of the bond market? And Rickards pointed out something that I certainly have no problem uh, disagreeing with, and that is that the Fed uh, is not... Uh, in it alone, that the uh, that the major banks, the primary dealers that that trade the bond market, are all part of the same cabal. They're all in there trying to uh, keep the dollar alive, trying to keep the bond market solvent, trying to keep uh, people confident in the existing system. Uh, but you know, if things are really starting to to uh, fall apart. Um, and confidence is lost, well, that's really all the system is based on primarily is confidence, a con game. And that's why I believe that the Federal Reserve has been involved and the the major bullion banks have been involved in trashing the gold price, manipulating the gold price downward, uh, playing all kinds of games in other markets too, for sure. The LIBOR markets have been manipulated. Uh, What isn't manipulated when you have a fiat currency instead of a real market-driven currency then what isn't what isn't manipulated um, uh, would be the question. And all the major markets, uh, I would say all the markets, by virtue of the fact that money itself is a manipulation, that all the markets are in fact malinvested and manipulated. And uh, the question then is, what will Yellen do as we go forward? And Rickards was talking about uh, Yellen's proclivity to measure employment. And so what Jim is saying is, keep your eye. Uh, on what she's thinking as much as possible, not necessarily what you think, but what does Miss Yellen think? And if if she thinks that the economy is getting stronger, look for tightening, look for a um, uh, a winding down of QE. On the other hand, if uh, if she thinks that the markets are getting weaker, look for her to increase quantitative easing. So that's the key. And the equity markets, no doubt, will move along with those lines. I think the gold market will move along those lines. As a matter of fact, what I've been saying for some time is that um, the gold market, uh, probably its next major leg up uh, will happen uh, when quantitative easing is started to increase again. And I think that could happen. Uh, actually, Rickards is suggesting he thinks that would happen around mid-year, and that would dovetail very nicely, actually, with the uh, views of Charles Nanner, his technical analysis that suggests uh, August 8th is a turning point uh, for the major cycle upward in gold, for gold uh, to start to have a major run. Well, we'll see. Time will tell if Charles uh, has that right or not. And uh, nobody knows, of course, which way things are going to go with certainty. Uh, but uh, we look at probabilities and we look at what's going on. We do our best on this show to try to understand as best we can. Well, let's talk a little bit about today's show. Um, 
we uh, I just mentioned um, I should have mentioned actually that Rickards is uh, is saying that he wants to own gold and gold shares. He wants to own art objects. He wants to own tangibles essentially, uh, but uh, he wants to own equities that have real things in the ground like energy and and metals and gold and so forth. So um, owning gold shares certainly fits. Uh, I think with today's topic, and we're going to be talking, as I mentioned, just uh, in a couple of minutes here with Ivan Babeck of uh, Caden Resources. Uh, this is a company that I think you're going to really want to know about because they have what looks to me like uh, they're in the process of proving up what should be a multi-million ounce gold deposit in Mexico. But unlike many of the other junior mining companies, this is a company that is very well funded uh, and it has very few shares outstanding. It managed to accomplish that through one of the most difficult times in recent memory in the gold, uh, in the junior gold sector. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Ivan Bayback uh, as soon as we come back from the break. Uh, I have labeled today's show the next stock market decline. Is it China we need to worry about? In addition to Ivan, uh, after him, we're going to talk to Dr. Peter Treadway. Uh, and in the second hour, John Rubino and Jeff Deist. John uh, Rubino will join me at the start, as I say, of the second hour at jtaylormedia.com. He thinks China could trigger the next financial avalanche. And uh, Dr. Peter Treadway, who lives and manages money from Hong Kong, appears to be in agreement. Uh, Peter will join me uh, during, as I say, uh, at about halfway past the first hour of today's show uh, at uh, voiceamerica.com. Uh, both Treadway and Rubino confirm Alastair McLeod's remarks of last week that an overly indebted, malinvested Chinese economy could trigger a global collapse. Both, I think, are, are in agreement with that. We'll find out. In fact, uh, Peter sees some signs that things are deteriorating in the rest of the real economy uh, that has him really worried, and we'll ask him about that as well. As always, the foundation for this show is free market Austrian economics, uh, which unlike Milton Friedman's uh, free market economics, includes money. It includes uh, the, the belief that money should be chosen by people, by practitioners in the market and not made uh, and forced upon us by government. Uh, and so uh, um, we believe, I believe as an Austrian, that um, that we need to have free choice of money or else the whole economy will be malinvested. So along those lines, I'm really happy to have Jeff Dice. He's the newly appointed president of the Mises Institute. Jeff, of course, was previously Ron Paul's chief of staff. He'll be joining me at the second hour at jtaylormedia.com. Jeff will talk about his views of what needs to be done to help turn the economy the social mess that the West has gotten itself into, turn things around back towards freedom and liberty, that that was willed to us by uh, the founding fathers when they wrote the Constitution. We do have to take our first break now, but don't go away, because when we come back, I will be talking uh, to the CEO of a company uh, that I think is building a million-ounce gold deposit in Mexico, and I'm personally very high Uh, on this company, having bought shares myself from my own account, as I mentioned, also a recommendation of my newsletter. Of course, I'm talking about Caden Resources and Ivan Babeck, who will be with me right after the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back.
attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out BrazilResources.com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Ivan Bebek. And I mispronounced his name, Bayback, and there is a very famous uh, promoter of gold mining stocks named Michael Bayback, who I know very well. Uh, but Ivan Bebek uh, is with me today, and he is the founder and president and CEO uh, and a director of Caden Resources, uh, where he oversees all the corporate financial activities of the company. He has had over 14 years' experience in financing, foreign negotiations, and acquisitions in mineral exploration uh, uh, industry. His understanding of the capital markets and ability to position structure and finance companies that he, that he has been associated with has been instrumental in the company's uh, Success. Uh, he is also a co-founder of Keegan Resources, now as Sanko Gold, and also serves as a director of Stratton Resources and RN Resources Inc. Um, I should mention before we say hello to Ivan uh, that uh, Caden trades on, in Toronto under the symbol CYD, and you can buy it in the United States uh, over the counter as I have under the symbol CDKNF. Uh, this morning, the stock was selling at around a dollar and a half in the United States. It had a high of five and a half dollars or thereabouts in 2011, a low of around 90 cents during this uh, most recent dreadful decline in the equity markets. And uh, what is most remarkable, I think, especially at this point in time, uh, given the trouble that this sector's had, is that there's only 41.6 million 
uh, shares outstanding. And Ivan tells me they have about $7 million in cash in the bank, which is uh, very good news. Welcome, Ivan. It's really good to have you with me today. Thanks, Jay. It's uh, definitely a pleasure to be here. I look forward to it. Thank you. Well, it's, uh, it really is a very exciting company. I met up with you guys in Vancouver a, couple of, a few weeks back now. You have two properties in Mexico. Both of them have a great deal of promise. And uh, uh, one of them is uh, in the Guerrero Gold Belts, an up-and-coming, evolving, massive gold belt in, in Mexico. But the project that is getting most of your attention now is a, is a shallow target where you have had a great deal of exploration success early on, and that is the El Barquino. What, what can you tell us about the El Barquino? It's land mass. How large is this property? Where is it located, et cetera? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a tremendous property, and uh, it's in a period, in a, sorry, in a place in Mexico called uh, Jalisco. It's a state which mm-hmm. has the, uh, the vacation town called Puerto Vallarta that a lot of people would be, could recognize with. But ultimately, it's in the middle of uh, Guadalajara and, and Puerto Vallarta. It's about an hour and 40 minutes away from the Guadalajara airport, accessible by a highway and a paved road once you turn off the highway. And the interesting thing, when we first went to go look at this project, when you turn off the highway, there's a huge sign, and in Spanish it says, in the land of uh, gold and friendship. Uh, it's, uh. A, it's a huge amount of historical gold mining. It's a historical gold mining district that was done at a small scale with uh, some, some actual commercial production in the 1980s where they produced about a quarter million ounces uh, historically at a, at a fairly high grade of gold. What uh, we've seen there is uh, something that I guess previous owners had, had largely missed due to the, the gold price back in the 80s and 90s and, and the fact that the previous owners were, were more interested in looking for copper gold porphyries as opposed to just uh, open gold deposits. And what this property really has is, is, is a tremendous amount of gold veins uh, on the surface. Mm. It's about uh, our land concession now is about 456 square kilometers mm. or 46,000 hectares in size. And this I have to mention and with, with a lot of uh, respect to it because uh, it's really important. Whenever you go look for a large gold deposit, you need to make sure you own the land for two reasons. Uh, one, specifically that you can build a mine in the ground that you're exploring on. And secondly, uh, you need it in case there's other big deposits near your big deposit that you're mm-hmm. going after. And what we've seen, uh, Jay, is, is something remarkable is that we may have the opportunity to discover the first major gold district anywhere that's all in one land concession. And uh, you've mentioned the Guerrero Gold Belt earlier, which has several really big mines in, in one belt. Um, in this case, we own the belt. We just don't know how big it's going to be yet. And uh, we've crossed the confidence in our first of nine targets that we're going to have a, a potentially a, a very profitable mining situation come out of this with multi-million ounces of gold as a a look down the road. Um, Each of the nine targets is identified by a few things, either past production in one of them, which is very limited, barely scratched the surface, or uh, drilling that's taken place in three other ones back in the 80s and 90s. And again, the drilling wasn't focused on the gold mineralization as much mm-hmm. as it was looking for deeper copper mineralization. So we think that the opportunity here exists because of uh, limited past exploration at a $300 gold price. Now, if you followed our results on the last three press releases, you've seen extremely high grade of gold and an average grade of gold if you take all of our numbers that's closer to two grams per ton, which is incredibly high grade to have right from surface. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. In, uh, in Mexico, um, it's early days. You, you can't do your studies yet, but what you can say is you're you're definitely in the right neighborhood with this project. You've got nine potential targets, which is only 60% of the property at this time, and there's a history of uh, hand or load mineralization or load mining off of the surface. So people for hundreds of years have been mining gold off the surface by hand. Um, you can't see the gold when you get into the really high grade of gold, but uh, you know that because there's a record of all these old adits that they were making under ground following the gold. And so when we go and drill around some of these adits that existed there historically just in our first target, we're getting in the five or six gram range over 15 to 20 meters. And, and those are incredible grades right from surface. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's quite a promising package. It's got a great land position. Because there was historical production, you have access to infrastructure. There's a water, power, and roads. We would have mm. to upgrade the power, but it's, it's about 15 to 20 kilometers away, which is not very expensive to bring in high tension power lines, and there's no huge population on the deposit, which is another factor that you have to look for when looking for a mine. Unfortunately, mines don't always occur in areas that uh, they choose to where nobody lives around, and uh, in this case, we're very fortunate that the population is peripheral to the actual mining targets that we're talking about. There's about 3,000 people about 12 kilometers away from all of the targets in a town called Guachinango, and uh, all of these people in this town have historically mined gold off the surface, and a lot of them work with us now as we go and explore for the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned nine uh, targets. Um, I noticed that you just put out a press release, I believe, in which you picked up another one in that area, the Shangri-La claim. Is that, would that possibly give you a tenth target, or, or is so, that something different? So what that Shangri-La does, and, and, and great for you to catch it and notice that it is adjacent to one of our best targets, which we're about to start drilling in uh, within a few weeks as I stand here right now. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, whenever you drill a, a very robust target, you want to own any small claims you don't own around it. And that was predominantly the last inlier claim that we didn't own that we wanted to own. And we wanted to do it timely before we started drilling, before we would create a lot more value for it. But mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, the structures that we're going to be drilling and the veins and the gold mineralization that we're seeing, they go right into this into this concession to the small claim we acquired. So it was, it was a very important claim for us to acquire. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, as I look at a map of this, uh, of the nine claims, uh, you know, the thought occurs to me, are these, I mean, these are, these are as, you, as you mentioned, they're, they're targets because some of the surface mining and so on and so forth. But do your geologists see the possible linkage of these? Uh, is it, are these the same, is it the same system? Is it one major system that has all of these surface outcroppings? Or, or what are, is there some theory on that yet from your geologists? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, our geologists have uh, have done an incredible job of interpreting the whole entire land concession to be one district. Um, we'll start from the deep coastal breaks, which is basically deeper down on the surface there has to be cracks. And in these cracks, it would form uh, fluid pathways of which the gold mineralization would come up to the surface. Mm-hmm. In any major epithermal gold system around the world, I use Yanacocha as an example because some of our geologists are formerly with Newmont who'd worked in Yanacocha, which is about a 30 million ounce epithermal uh, district down in South America. Um, what they're seeing at, at Barcanio is they're seeing major crustal breaks. They're seeing the architecture necessary for a major epithermal to, system to exist. And then when you get to the surface, you have 
about 60% of the land that's outcropping veins on surface and about 40% of it has a light cover. Imagine a bit of a volcanic ash over the years because it's a fairly volcanic region from back in the day. So what you have in these areas where the veins are outcropping, not only is there gold in the actual epithermal veins, which range from 10 to 30 or 40 meters wide, but there's gold in the rock around the veins and it's coming up in shoots. So you can imagine a series of ice cream cone-shaped shoots. Obviously, it's narrower below and it spreads out as it comes to surface with the middle of it being the highest grade and lower grade around it. And this is what makes it a bulk mineable open pit target. And talking about a little bit about what we're looking at, everything is from surface. And so far in all of our drilling, it's li- we've limited our drilling to 200 meters because that's the most valuable rock that you're going to look mm-hmm. at. It's the top 200 meters and that's the kind of gold you want to find. And that's going to be what makes your, your more profitable mine. But each of these nine targets has very analogous geology, same rock types, that you see in the first one that we're drilling and some of the previous ones that were drilled. Uh, same grade of gold that we're seeing off the grab samples we've done. And also, most importantly, uh, all of these targets have the same structure orientation as we have in the first one. So every aspect of the target that we're seeing is proving to be uh, quite analogous to the first one. It doesn't mean they're all going to be home run deposits, but it does give us the absolute potential that, uh, that what we're finding in our Azteca target could occur repeatedly. And if I'm half right, or less than half right, and only four of these nine targets deliver uh, gold deposits, we'd be a, in a really, really good position as a, as a company as small as ours, and we could bring a lot of value to our shareholders for doing that. No doubt about it. And Ivan, how close are these deposits next to each other? So that could they be like satellite deposits that are mined in, or that are processed in one uh, heap leach or one mill? So, so, yeah, great question. Uh, about uh, six, six of these projects or these deposit targets that we have are uh, within a 10-kilometer radius. And then the furthest one out to the north, it's actually historically drilled, and there is a historical uh, deposit there. But um, that would be something that would be on its own. But uh, with the six of them being in one area, this really gives that, that exact potential you're talking about. So you'd build one big mining operation that would mine all six of those if all six mm-hmm. of those worked out to be. And, and this really speaks to economies of scale and the amount of gold you could produce and the low cost you could have to mine all these deposits. It's one thing to have nine targets that could end up being gold deposits, but it's another thing when predominantly most of them are all within one confined area that you can actually build a mining operation, one, one plant to mine all of those. And that's basically what we're looking at here. And that makes mm-hmm. the appeal even much more than, than just a, a property with nine different really good targets on it. No question about it. And before uh, we have another three, four, or five minutes, maybe here, but I want to ask you: uh, that's you know that's your primary target right now is is the, uh, the the one we're just talking about. But you also have, as as we mentioned, I think it's called the Morellas Sir deposit, um, and, and it's not a deposit yet; it's a target uh, down in the Guerrero Belt. But uh, you've really focused on the on the other one because of the shallowness and. Uh, but you, but you have uh, a very, very exciting asset down there, uh, Morello Sur. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, and and also explain um, how there may be some monetary value early on from from that target. So the Morello Sur project was the first major project we put into Caden. It actually resulted in the, in the share price going from forty cents to over five dollars per share when it was just an option. And the reason why it got so much attention is because of exactly what you were saying, where it's located. It's in the Guerrero Gold Belt. It's actually would be equivalent of the armpit of the Guerrero Gold Belt, surrounded by six million ounce deposits in either direction that you go on around it. Um, it also the land position also intertwines with uh, the largest producing gold mine in Mexico right now, uh, Los Feliz. 
Helios. And uh, mm-hmm. what would happen when we got this land concession is we noticed that uh, the heat bleach facilities for this mine were actually on our concession as well as their waste dumps. And uh, this, this mine is actually owned and operated by Gold Corp. So through very extensive negotiations, we negotiated a value for selling the land that they were using for their facilities at a reasonable cost so that they could continue to produce and work with their mine. Um, that resulted in a check for $15.744 million last year, which is what's kept us away from diluting ourselves further and protecting our structure. Um, furthermore, we still own a very key piece of land. It's in right in between their two pits, which lie side by side, but north and south, as opposed to left and right, or east and west. And uh, that piece of land that we own, we've drilled. We've done about eight holes of drilling into it. We've seen a lot of gold mineralization. And uh, it's also actually, it looks like it's part of the $1,100 pit mine plan, that same piece of ground. So we have reason to believe there's tremendous value in this other piece of ground. And we plan to sell it by the end of this year or early next year, uh, depending on uh, timelines and obviously negotiations. But we think this could add another significant internal cash flow to the company where we wouldn't need to do uh, another dilute of financing down the road to really advance our Barcania project, but we do have a huge gold anomaly here next to these multi-million mm-hmm. ounce deposits. It's about a 25 square kilometers of re- really high-grade gold in the soils. Um, the mine that's operating there is mining, it's a heap leach, mining at about 0.69 grams per ton. Uh, a good third of our soil anomaly is running about a gram per ton on surface. However, our target here is not right at surface like our Barcanio project. It starts at about 200 meters down below surface. We're looking for an intrusive contact with the limestone, and uh, it goes from 200 meters to 400 meters at depth. Um, in the last year and a half, about five kilometers north of our target, uh, we saw Torix have tremendous success in their Media Luna deposit that they just discovered, which is uh, edging up to about 6 million ounces. So the potential here is to find something big, absolutely, much like our Barcanio project. However, it's subsurface targeting. It's, it's a little bit harder to do. And in this market where we're protecting our capital at all will, and uh, we're looking more towards the low-hanging fruit, the easy deposit, and that's what Barcanio is. So Barcanio has gold on surface for several kilometers of strike length and exceptionally higher grade gold on surface, which are the two most important factors for an exploration company to go after. But ultimately, we would argue with ourselves that Barcanio has the bigger potential on the upside, although we think the target in, uh, in Magnetita, the one that Project uh, Morella Sur, would be much similar to the five or six million ounce deposits being there nearby. So we're focusing mm-hmm. on Barcanio right now and on the back of us selling that piece of land that I just briefly discussed that, that we own strategically, we would uh, look at doing a second phase of drilling in this target. But uh, until then, I think shareholders can look forward to a lot of surface results, a lot of drilling results from Barcanio as we start to un- uncover and, and test that district potential that exists so apparently for us. You know, we're just about out of time, but one more question I have to ask you before I let you go, and that is your background is in finance. Your board uh, and management team is very strong. Uh, they have a very strong geological exploration geology background. May I assume from uh, from the construction of your management and board that, that you're really not looking to be a producer, but actually just looking to prove up world-class deposits and, and flog them off to a major? Well, I'll go two steps with that. The first step is um, generally that's the game plan. Um, we think to, to go find a major gold mine and uh, hopefully a, a bigger company comes along and buys it and it's a very fortuitous return for uh, our investors. But uh, I'll be honest with you, Jay, um, even though we have a, a heavily weighted exploration team and a mining finance team as well, 
um, we would take on the uh, the this would be a project if it delivers what we think it will. We would take on the the process to actually turn this into a producing mine. But mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll cover that by saying that. If we keep finding the gold that we're finding at surface in this area of Mexico in this jurisdiction, it's going to be very hard for us to even get that opportunity because uh, it's got the size, it's got the grade, and it's got the land package. And those three things are, are what make investors all the money, you know, and this is what would keep us interested and majors interested. It's something that appeals very, very easily to a large a major mining company because uh, the amount of gold that would be found, the land position that you own, and the environment that it could be found, and those three things are what really go for this project. So it's early days for us, but it's hard to say. Um, right now, we're going to just focus on uh, finding as much gold as we can and monetizing that success for our shareholders and putting the company in a position to go either way. Either we take it through to production, we bring in mine management team uh, to replace the exploration team or, or add to it, or we, uh, we look forward to hopefully a fortuitous uh, sell down the road to a bigger company. Well, uh, it's excellent. It's an excellent game plan. It really is working out well. The number of shares, I can't emphasize the importance of that enough because that's what I think the biggest risk that people face in the junior sector is uh, share dilution. Uh, one more quick question. Any time soon you might have a, a, a resource calculation. Could that come later this year, next year, when? Yeah, well, what we're going to do the, through the rest of this year, we've drill tested the first target. We did about 6,000 meters of drilling in it, and it gave us the, the clear uh, idea that there's going to be a deposit there. We're going to drill three more of these targets between now and the end of the year, and then next year, assuming a, a better gold price and a, better, a lot better share price than where we're at now based on the, the predictability of the system and, and how we pr- hope it pr- behaves in the next six months, we're going to bring in our uh, infill drilling uh, programs into next year. So we have a lot to figure out in terms of how big this could be. We're still too early to go and do the delineation drilling that's going to be required to make this into a mine. Um, but that's a good problem to have, Jay, because mm-hmm. uh, in any exploration company, all the success that comes out in our share prices comes from our exploration drilling. Uh, basically, when you get towards uh, infill drilling and delineation drilling, you generally start to lose a little bit of that speculation and right. appeal. And right. uh, we could be in exploration drilling for three years based on how many targets we see and mm-hmm. the size of the targets. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we plan to ramp everything up as we get into next year and hopefully have multiple drills on the property, some that will be doing exploration, some that will be doing delineation. So we carry that, that, that speculative uh, potential all the way through for the next few years. And uh, again, the targets are, are, are so obvious to us. And uh, the early stages of exploring these targets in the first portion of uh, coming up with resource, it, it looks really, really good. And it's going to be an exciting, a very exciting project to work on for the next few years. It is very exciting. We're out of time. I want to thank you, Ivan, for being with us today. Thank you And I look much. forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next uh, will be uh, our uh, friend and uh, fund manager from uh, who resides in Hong Kong a good part of his life, and that's Dr. Peter Treadway. And he will have something very important to say, I think, about what is going on in China uh, and to what extent he thinks China really matters to the American investors. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Peter Treadway.
attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out BrazilResources.com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, a symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Peter Treadway. Dr. Treadway has been with us before, as I say, and, uh, but for the sake of those of you who may not be familiar with me, let me just read quickly over his bio. He is an independent consultant and money manager and has served as an adjunct professor in Asia. He is currently a principal of Historical Analytics, LLC. It's a consulting investment management firm dedicated to global portfolio management. Uh, its investment approach is based on Dr. Treadway's Wall Street experience. He writes a, a monthly a letter uh, for for his clients, uh, titled The Dismal Optimist, um, and uh, I'm privileged to see that from time to time, and it's, uh, uh, it's one of the things we want to talk to him about, one of his latest ones uh, on China today. But Dr. Treadway also serves part-time as chief economist at CT Risks. It's a Hong Kong company, and in his capacity in Asia, he uh, has given occasional one-day workshops on sovereign risk. Uh, he is a very distinguished con- career. He has uh, been a chief economist at Fannie Mae in 1978 through 1981 um, and an institutional equity analyst at Man- and managing director at Smith Barney, 1985 uh, to 98. Uh, Peter was ranked an all-star analyst 11 times by Institutional Investor Magazine. And his uh, doctorate in economics is from the University of North Carolina. He has an MBA from NYU and his undergraduate degree in English from Fordham University. Welcome, uh, Peter. Welcome to ha- back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, it's good to be back. 
Really good to have you back uh, on this continent. And uh, how much of your time are you spending in, in China and how much in, in North America these days? Oh, I'd say it's about 60, 40, something like that. I, uh, I don't keep count. But don't keep track of it, yeah. That's the way it works. Okay. All right. Well, I'd like to jump right into the topic of China. You wrote a very interesting article. All of them are interesting uh, that you read for sure. It's, uh, it's China we need to worry about. Uh, in a recent Dismal Optimist, you said, and I quote, I'm not calling for a major collapse of the Chinese economy, but the Chinese economy is no longer a shining star. Unfortunately, nobody really knows how bad things might be in China, and there is a real chance things could, get, could be worse than I am expecting. George Soros has said the Chinese economy represents the greatest risk to the global economy. I would agree with this, end of quote. Now, Peter, before the 2008-09 crisis, the U.S. consumer was borrowing up to the hill on their credit cards, and they were using their, AT- their homes as ATM machines to buy goods from China. Uh, after the 08-09 debacle, imports from China fell substantially. And so it's my understanding that the Chinese began to print money then to finance infrastructure projects that were taking place, um, you know, to, to revive the Chinese economy. And that was really creating a lot of demand globally for raw materials, metals and energy and so forth. But now, based on what I'm reading, there exists in China a growing bank solvency problem that is, by some counts, uh, very serious. From your view on the doorstep of mainland China, there, from where you sit there in Hong Kong, am I painting an accurate picture? Do you see I things you, that way in China now? I my views pretty, uh, pretty well. I mean, and that's sort of the global view. And the, the complication with China is that nobody really knows what's happening there. Um, and most of the foreign analysts um, are not Chinese. They cannot read Chinese. They cannot speak Chinese. And even if they could, uh, it's uh, the Chinese do all they can to limit information flow. In the um, there are reports now that uh, that they're not in. They don't want to be talking to some of the, men, the Western economists at some of the banks in, in Asia. They they don't want to hear bad news, and um, you know China has been driving the emerging markets. Uh, well, the uh, especially Latin America, South Africa, the you know commodity driven economies mm-hmm. have been driven by China, and it's um, unclear that that's really the problem with China. Things are unclear, mm-hmm. and. Um, at the same time, you have uh, you have some. Well, what you're seeing in Asia, though, is sort of is everywhere you go, you're seeing Chinese tourists. That, that's a, to me, it's sort of an indicator, and they weren't there before. And um, so, I suppose I should say that's a positive indicator. Although they're buying things in Hong Kong, it's amazing they go to um, pharmacies. Supermarkets, they don't trust these items in their own country. They come over the border just to, just to buy these things. Uh, but they also come over the border to buy Louis Vuitton and Chanel, et cetera. And they're all over Asia, Chinese tourists now. Mm. Well, that's, it's interesting. And I, um, I mean, why wouldn't they trust their products in China? And, and that's they one question. Another one. They're, they're fake. They're, they think they're poison or they're fake, so they they come to Hong Kong to get the real thing. That's that seems to be. I uh, you see them lined up with suitcases, and Hong Kong, you know, 
restaurants have all been converted into jewelry stores. <laughs> is that right? It is, it is so much demand for gold and precious metals and, and uh, diamonds your, and things. Your last guest was just talking about gold, and um, the gold has been sort of a sell-off um, over the last few years in the West, um, but the Chinese have been buying. Every time it drops, and I think that's true in India as well, although there are restrictions on Indians buying gold now, but the Chinese have been buying the gold. The, the declines in price are not viewed with dismay in China. They're, they're viewed as an opportunity. So I think there's this, you know, no one, of course, nobody knows what the Bank of, uh, the People's Bank of China has. Uh, they haven't updated, I believe, their statistics on gold holdings in a couple of years. But, uh, and you can see it in, in uh, Hong Kong, um, where whole streets are sort of now, <laughs> they're selling gold, both bars and, and jewelry. And the jewelry, um, there's a couple of Chinese um or Hong Kong-based jewelers that sort of copy the designs of the Cartiers and the the more upscale European uh, ones. So, um, yeah, I think that sort of suggests to me that um, maybe, you know, gold in the West is an inflation hedge, and I think in China and India and other places, it's an inflation hedge, but... Um, they just don't trust their governments much, mm-hmm. much less than than we trust our governments here. Mm-hmm. Although our um, trust is diminished. I guess there would be a historical reason for that. Obviously, oh, tremendous! I mean, the, uh, the gold uh, actually uh, uh, currency that was backed by metals was first introduced in the uh, the. Um, uh, Song Dynasty, about the year 1000 in China. Mm-hmm. China originated this, and it failed. They all, they just kept printing money, and the, the currency collapsed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's and certainly a political unrest, and the difficulties that have been there, where gold was forbidden to be owned, uh, and uh, you know, very, very difficult to own it there for uh, during uh, during more recent years until lately, and and now it seems like the Chinese government is more pro gold and encouraging their citizens to own gold much more aggressively than. Uh, well, than I don't the know US, if they're uh, encouraging the them in the sense uh, what they're doing. Is apparently, the the, the people's bank, uh, the central bank is buying is buying gold and uh-huh. the Chinese consumers. Nobody knows the breakdown here. People speculate, but I mean it's yeah. all guesswork. Yeah, and, and the numbers that are put see, out by I can the see in Hong Kong, the, the the gold shops that have opened. Yeah, in in recent years, Peter, just in recent years, more so. Yeah, in recent years. And so uh, they, they can make more money. Of a, uh, event, a, um, a small businessman can make more money opening a jewelry store than opening a restaurant than having a restaurant. Well, in, I think uh, the restaurant owners have lost their, their lease and have been replaced by the jewelers, yeah. not the same well, guys. Well, real estate has gotten extremely expensive there in Hong Kong. Well, it's always the, yes. The it's gotten a lot worse. Yes. Yeah. And that's the second issue, um, by the way, all over Asia, uh, people resenting uh, foreigners, particularly Chinese, buying properties. And in Vancouver, they just cut a 
you had a huge backlog of wealthy Chinese leaving China and trying to get Canadian citizenship under a, a, uh, an investment program, and the and the Canadians just cut the program. Uh, they did just now. Kong, That's news to me. Just j- are you saying they just cut it now, Peter? Yes, a week ago or so. It was uh, four, about they had a backlog of about forty six, forty seven thousand, and wow. basically aimed at Chinese. Well, at, at millionaires, and they're all Chinese. That and is Vancouver, really really interesting. Uh, because you know, I've been going to I've been going to Vancouver, oh, once or twice or three times a year since the early '80s, and I can remember the time when I could walk down the streets of Vancouver and see the mountains all around me. And now, when you walk down the main, you know, downtown Vancouver, you got sky skyscrapers everywhere, 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 and the Chinese. And that's happened since money's come in from Hong Kong, from China. I know that's very interesting, and that could be. Uh, uh, represent a big reversal. I'm just, uh, this is off topic, of well, course, for Hong Kong that, that Chinese extremely hot. Were, they emigrated to Vancouver uh, before the handover, which was 1997. Yes. Then a That's lot right. of them said, oh, we can't make as much money here. At least the men went back to uh-huh. Hong Kong. But now you're getting a wave of mainland Chinese um, who are wealthy who have been applying for Canadian residency, and, and now they've been cut off. The Canadians have reacted the same way uh, the Hong Kong people have reacted. Hong Kong has put in restrictions, and Singapore uh, against foreign buyers, and Malaysia mm. as well. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, uh, I I would imagine that's uh, that could have some repercussions for that very very hot real estate market uh, in 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 Vancouver, which has gotten extremely expensive as well. I think uh, that um, well, it's not my area of expertise, but I would guess that prices would decline in mm-hmm. in Vancouver because mm-hmm. the Chinese buyers were clearly uh, a major force. No question. No question about it. Do you think then that the uh, the desire to buy ch- to buy real estate uh, overseas is another aspect of this lack of trust of government and the future? Absolutely. Uh, in China, so you're mm-hmm. you're seeing uh, wealthy Chinese uh, trying to uh, really leave China with their money. Mm-hmm. This is a phenomenon that's um, so you know you you get. Nobody really, you know, China is the second largest economy in the world. So it's extremely important what happens there. And at the same time, you've got some great Chinese companies that are in the high-tech area. They're, they're more or less, uh, to some extent, uh, copies of the, like, Google has, well, they have Baidu in, yeah. in China. You have these, most of them trade here, and Tencent trades in Hong Kong. The, 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 in the tech area, which is the stocks that are purely private, are are um, and in the tech area are trade in the U.S. The Chinese stocks mm-hmm. they don't trade in China, oh. <laughs> or they trade in Hong Kong. But in Hong Kong, really. yeah. Hong Kong is is uh, more banks and real estate and, and less tech oriented. Although we'll see where uh, Alibaba. If you're familiar with that, uh, Alibaba is going to do an IPO. It's going to be a huge IPO. And Alibaba really wants to do it in Hong Kong, but they won't allow them to do a dual structure, so they may come in New York. Interesting. And the way to play Alibaba is to own Yahoo. I'm not recommending anything here, but that's Yahoo has a 
big position in Alibaba. Well, Peter, maybe you could just summarize why in your article you're basically saying that, you know, while a lot of the popular press is looking at places like Argentina or Turkey or Thailand, uh, it's, our, it's China that we need to worry about. Uh, per, perhaps you could just summarize why is it uh, China then? Well, it's because it's China is no longer a periphery, uh, you, peripheral nation. Um, huh? So to summarize it on the, on the introduction, I mean, China is the second largest economy in the world, and they, they have really driven the commodity booms that we've, that we've seen. And if, if that's going to turn around, and at the same time, they've also, they're... Um, uh, expansion policy has been driven by bank loans, and the banks clearly, uh, you know, now we're starting to get, uh, well, not just bank loan problems, but off, there's a shadow banking market in China, and there's been, you know, already some defaults. The defaults get mysteriously fixed. Mm -hmm. They haven't allowed a Lehman Brothers situation to, uh, they recently had one, and suddenly, the people were paid off, and no one knows exactly how they were paid off. Was it the government? Was it, the, was it, it this was on a trust company. This was an off-balance sheet uh, loan. It's mentioned in my report, and, and mm-hmm. um, it suddenly got paid off. Not the interest, but uh, so nobody, nobody died on this one. Mm-hmm. But so... Uh, so you have a, a pretty shaky financial system. You have a problem of over-stocking uh, of certain commodities. And you have basically a, a economic system that's controlled by the Communist Party that resources are being directed in the wrong direction in, mm-hmm. in terms of overbuilding of infrastructure, real estate speculation, etc. And at the well, same time, you have a you do have some really good tech companies which mm-hmm. which don't basically are not on the Shanghai Stock Exchange. They're mm-hmm. here, so it's a really complicated country. And it's you know it's a, I, I repeat it's the second largest economy in the world, even though the yeah. average per capita income in China is much lower than here. Well, P- Peter, my engineer is telling me we have less than two minutes left, but I, I would think that what you're telling me, uh, if there's this overbuilding, overconstruction, malinvestment into different areas, uh, because it's not a, really a market-driven economy, that what we may be looking at then is some real backlash for the uh, commodity-producing nations, and this could be kind of bearish for them. It has been already, well, I think, what you're saying. This, it's already, this already played out, I mean, to some extent. Mm-hmm. And um, the, um, Now, you mentioned Argentina. Argentina has been a lost cause for a long time. And um, Thailand has some internal problems, um, and as do does Turkey. So they're, they're sort of special cases. Uh, I don't see a, uh, um, a people were talking about just a few weeks ago, uh, I don't see um, a repeat of the 1998 Asian crisis or the Mexico crisis. I don't see that happening in the so-called emerging markets. It's not, it's not happening. It, um, even though some of, last year the stock markets underperformed the U.S. And that's probably a China-driven process. They underperformed the U.S. last year because China was slowing down. All right, Peter, unfortunately, we're, 
we're out of time. I shortchanged. I'm afraid today we really would like to talk to you again sometime soon if that's possible. Well, you have so much to. to talk about. Uh, and, uh, the, the really brave new world, we want to talk to you about that, but we do have to go. My engineer is telling me he's going to cut me off if I don't uh, well, say I uh, goodbye. Off, so. so thank you very okay. much, Peter, for being with us. I really appreciate it. Well, okay. unfortunately, My as pleasure. I say, we're out of time, but uh, our show will continue on at jtaylormedia.com immediately uh, right now. So go there to hear John Rubino. He's the author of Dollar Collapse and, and uh, the new uh, and the Money Bubble. Now his newest and latest book with Jeff uh, with uh, James Turk. So go to uh, jtaylormedia.com and I'll be there to uh, to talk to you uh, to uh, both to John Rubino as well as Jeff Dice. Thanks to Tacy Trump and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Now go to J Taylor Media. See you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 